0: hello next geners welcome to the monday review show we've got a big guest on the show today laneva park's own mick sharky mick you got the laneva park hat on today but we're going to ask you to you know put a next gen hat on i know you've got a lot of hats mate but um can you put the next gen hat on for half an hour i do i look i do have a lot of hats boys but next look
1: i've got the literal laneva park hat on but where's my literal next gen hat come on I know people think I'm old. I'm not that old. I'm still in my mid thirties. I should, I should have some
2: merch from you, boys, shouldn't I? Should we start a merch? Should we start a merch range, Hayden? Yeah, I think so. But the problem with the merch range is most people, when they try and make a few bucks out of a merch range, end up down at the workwear shop and just get the embroidery on the chest. So we don't want the rubbish. We need the good stuff. We don't want to make a dollar.
1: I'll tell you something, right? I had a bit of a hiccup with merch not too long ago when. Uh, my good friends, David Gately and Richo and I had a, a little uh, clandestine podcast called The Great Game. Anyway, it started to get a little bit of traction and there was a segment in it called, you know, In Yahweh We Trust or something like that and Richo would call Gator Yahweh. So I thought this is, a really, this is really good. We, we're number one on iTunes, um, we're flying, like all these listeners. I'll get some singlets made up coming into summer. So Gator, of course, being famous for his muscle tops and, and terrible fashion sense. So I had these black singlets made with Gator's head on them and In Yahweh We Trust underneath. Well, two weeks later, uh, I think Gator might have got the tap on the shoulder from his work saying, eh, I don't know about you being on this podcast. We might, <laughs> we might have to pull up here and uh, he delivered that news, and about two days later, 400 Yahweh singlets with Gator's face on it arrived at my house. So if anyone wants some singlets for the summer, any Gator fans out there, let me know. They're free to a good home. Uh, well, we've, uh, we've had
0: loads of them sitting in the shed. Had Rich and Gator on the show in recent weeks, but we wanted to save the best till last. But we have had some questions. What happened to the great game? Any chance that podcast comes back? I
1: think it was one of those things when... Gator went to work at Sky and Richo stayed on obviously with Seven and .com and me just being Switzerland, you know, the the bloke that nobody wants. I was sort of sitting there thinking, come on, boys, surely we uh, we can do something. But it got to the point of popularity where I think both outlets wanted it and we probably couldn't meet a middle ground. And so not wanting to try and... Pervert it by chopping somebody out and bringing in somebody else. We thought we'll just leave it until things settle down a bit, and hopefully we can we can rehash it and bring it back. But yeah, I, I reckon not a week goes by, particularly at carnival time, <laughs> that we don't get somebody hitting us up on social saying, "Oh, it a great game." So one day, yeah. one day those singlets will have some use again.
0: We've we've on this show that it's not easy getting guests because half of them are contracted to different outlets. So. Um, Yeah, we'll come to the stud farms because they love love promoting the game. And, you know, obviously the Great Game podcast was number one at the time. I got an email today from Carlos who says, uh, Next Gen of Racing, we're uh, 111th in the sports category in Australia and 175 in New Zealand. So I guess you've got to start somewhere.
1: It's – look – (laughs) <laughs> it's admirable it's they're admirable numbers. I don't know how many sports podcasts there are in Australia and New Zealand hopefully lots more than one hundred eleven and hundred and seventy five boys but no it's a great little uh, great little podcast you guys have got going and you had some great guests over the over the last few weeks and months so it's been very good listening.
0: Well, I will say most of our um, most of our followers do watch us um, on YouTube so those numbers don't get counted in the numbers That's so we right. We do the yeah. little hutchy, the hutchy calculation. You add up all the different audiences, and I think we're um, uh, we'd be number two behind the great game if you guys were still going. But anyway, great I to have you like on. Number Shark. two
1: behind cat videos, and you're all right.
0: <laughs> great to have you on, mate. What did you make of incentivizers um outstanding win in the uh, in the Turnbull on Saturday? He's pretty cool horse, isn't he? I, yeah. I'm not going to
1: bore you with data and numbers and everything else. I'll leave leave that conversation to people that. Sort of play in that space, but just from a a spring carnival and a story point of view, he's the horse we need at the moment. We haven't got you know the big bangers from Europe this year, and uh, it's it's a little bit ho hum that the Caulfield and the Melbourne Cups at this point of the game. So I think incentivize is giving us that that new story, that rags to riches type story. Uh, He's a horse that was getting touched up in. uh, in maidens at Toowoomba when he couldn't keep up with them. And all of a sudden he goes on a winning spree, whatever it is in his head and his mind clicked with his body. And the genetic soup has all produced this aerobic beast. Basically he's just so cool to watch.
0: Hayden, you tell us what you think of incentivized. I've got my wife, Claire, um, looking at me through the window. She's locked herself out. Uh, Hayden, what did the numbers tell us? You can bore us with the data. Is Hay- Hayden there or Hayden's frozen? Mickey's frozen. All right, we've lost him. So I think the data would say he they they went quick through that first section. I was on very elegant, and it looked like Damian Lane was trying to bustle her to keep up with them. Um, and I was sort of thinking, you know, what? Why didn't he just relax? And um, what did you make of very elegant's performance, Shark? I
1: I reckon. They probably had a plan looking at the map and thinking Incentivise is just going to have a really nice time of it here in front, so we don't want to get too far back. And that plan's been burned into into Damien's mind, and that's the way he's wanted to play the race. And he's come out and he's ridden to that plan. Unfortunately, the tempo was a little bit stronger than what everyone expected. Mm. And there weren't adjustments made for that. I think Dean Lester made a really good point on radio on Sunday, saying that Very Elegant has sat handy to an above-average speed five times in her career, and she's been beaten all five times. I think so. She's a horse that needs to balance up and surge, and she just didn't have that opportunity on Saturday. I don't think it was a deplorable run by any stretch. Like most horses running fourth in a Turnbull, they'd be high-fiving. You know, that's that's career best sort of stuff, but so consistent and such a high bar that she has set for herself. Uh, you know, we expect a little bit more from
0: her. Hayden, um, tell us, what did the data say?
2: Oh, I left. Shark said Don't, he doesn't want to bore us with data and things like that, so I just, <laughs> I,
0: just,
2: I, just I just left, mate. Um, she went career fastest. That's the... Um, that's the honest truth. Um, he has two. Um, it was an interesting race because, you know, we've got two horses. Her fastest ever, I think, in her life is about 4.4 lengths of a benchmark through the first section. She's been asked to go nine and a half. Uh, um, she's never felt that level of pressure before. Him, on the other hand, he's never broken
0: Yeah, I think we're losing Hayden there again. He's gone
2: 11.1 links above benchmark through the first section. So he's yeah. a bit of a monster, to be, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, you're it's chopping fun. in and out there. But I think we got the picture. She went nine and a half links above benchmark first section. Incentivize went 11.1. So that's outstanding. Shark, any fears? And obviously Peter Moody would have this in the back of his mind. But any fears that he, he could be flat in a Caulfield Cup two weeks?
1: I don't know about that. I think this horse's best quality, his best asset, is his heart lung. It's his mm. aerobic capability. Genuinely generally speaking, horses are athletes that have a massive heart-lung capacity. They're not necessarily the ones that struggle after a strong test. You know, or or having to repeat an effort. You know, usually they're the ones that just step back up and and do it all over again. I don't think the Caulfield Cup. Like if you if you're not on in the early markets, there's no point now at playing yeah. two dollars twenty. There's just no point. You know, and everyone will say, oh, he's a multi filler and all this sort of stuff. You know what? You can get absolutely sucker punched into stuff like that, and touch wood, it doesn't happen because I've got him running at at odds in multi- multiples and all that sort of stuff. But if something does happen to him in the next fortnight, well, you're cooked. And for what benefit? You know, playing at $2.25. Mm-hmm. I think he'll start probably somewhere around that on Caulfield Cup Day. If you have missed the boat, you can tow in then, knowing that he's in the race, that he's fit and presenting at the race sound and well. That's the last little box that needs to be ticked for him. It's a nervous and exciting sort of next fortnight for all these connections and for Peter Moody. But I certainly don't think that's the sort of run that, worries me about, you know, I'm not looking at that run thinking, oh, gee, I'm worried how he's going to come through that. Because his, his asset, his main asset says that he should just breeze for, through a race like that, really.
0: Yep. I think there'll be people questioning, well, he's only beaten Young young Verder and Chapada um, in second and third, and very elegant, obviously, um, didn't perform. I think, Hayden, Chapada probably ran to his elite level. I think he's run you know, a number like that in an Australian Cup running third to Holmesman. And um, I think he went a big run in a naturalism over the same distance. Um, but young young Verda is the one that looks like he too, along with incentivizers, has gone to a new level.
2: He's the most interesting runner in the race for mine because when yeah. he ran second, I was really concerned about um, the race from an analytical aspect because I'm like, you're not supposed to be here. Your PB only sits around the benchmark level. Um, so I was trying to work out, you know, what is this race really? Have you gone to a new level here or has everybody simply not shown up? That was my concern. Um, he's gone to a big new level. And the more and more I looked at it, um, the more and more I'm starting to buy into this horse as a serious, serious contender in the Caulfield Cup. He's, um, you know, apart from the hype on incentivize, um, He's the runner typically that I'd look for and say, okay, you're the right one. Well, your, your
0: take on young Verther, young Sharp?
1: Look, he's okay. He's an improving, lightly-raced sort of stayer. Uh, he, remember, the Turnbull set weight and penalty. He was, he was copping four kilos off incentivise, and he was probably, uh, given the way the race was run, he was probably ridden to advantage, whereas a couple of the bigger guns, Sir Dragonette, and, uh, and Very Elegant weren't. He's a useful enough handicap stayer. I can see him running top five in a Caulfield Cup. I'd be shocked if he was able to turn tables on on He doesn't. And I heard a couple of people say after the race, "Oh, you know, he's only beaten Chapada and Young Verder. Well, what? There was also very elegant. There was also Sir Dragonet. There was also a couple of others in there that go right, Explosive Jack, and the like. What else does he have to beat this year? Because yeah. there's nothing coming from overseas. This is it, like coming through a a Caulfield Cup, and mm. that's it, really. There's there's not much else there. Colette was his main danger allegedly, and she's had a setback and has to back up now. This week into the week after, so yeah, uh, he doesn't have to do much more mm. than what he's doing. Basically, is just turn up and 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 do that again, like run to that sort of standard again, and he'll be winning a Caulfield Cup.
0: Yeah, fair point. Uh, Grand Promenade won the Bart Cummings. Can Kieran Maher and David Eustace's horse make an impact in the Cup?
1: Yeah, I think he can. I think Kieran Maher and Dave Eustace are the only ones, you know, Spanish Mission's my top seed in the Melbourne Cup. Well, Kieran Maher and David Eustace, they're the ones that are going to mount any sort of challenge with uh, Grand Promenade Explosive Jack and Persan, who looks to be a little bit rejuvenated this time around, and I'm, I'm still thinking he's probably a horse that can emerge and, and, and come into the cup picture late in the game. But Grand Promenade, European bred, they brought him out here early. They gave him a really good, solid grounding. And again, uh, Dean Lester advising uh, Jerry Ryan about this horse's program. They've just taught him winning habits, and they've got him mature, and competitive, and in a real winning mindset in the off season, which is similar to what Kieran and David did with Persan last year. And now he's in the race. I think he's he's definitely then in, in there with a chance. Again, your markets have all overreacted. Fifteen dollars after the back of that—that that wasn't a win to me. That saw him trim up his price by nine bucks. Like it's just, that's just the markets overreacting. Just wait, you'll get a decent price on somewhere between that and twenty to one on Melbourne Cup day if he's there fitting well.
0: Yeah, and the other, the other performance that probably stood out at Flemington Shark was still a star winning in the mayor's race. Um, pretty strong performance. Yeah, it was a good win. There's no standout mayor this year. I don't think
1: there's a dominant mayor in that Sprinter-Miler sort of category. Great story like Billy Ryan coming across and, and, and bringing this horse over. for. You know, here's, here's a filly that for a long time was Toronado's only stakes winning offspring. And it was in a listed race in Tassie. And I know the team at Swettenham were very concerned because they kept hearing all these great things about tornado progeny and, oh, they're going to do this and they're going to be superstars and they're all here and there and how good they are. And they'll hang in their hat on still a star for a long time. So Mars Crusader and the like have obviously come along since then and the stallion's proven himself. But, yeah, yeah it, was not, it was a nice little story on a day when Mars Crusader sort of reminded us again what sort of a freaky can be, that old love was uh, was there still holding up the end for a, for a stallion, uh, for a sire rather. Um, she was forgotten horse there for a while.
0: Oh, let's segue into Mars Crusader then. Um,
2: Hayden, did you see what you thought you wanted to see from Mars Crusader? I expected him to win. I was very confident uh, going into the race that he was the right a he was the right horse and b he was significantly better than these. Mm. Um, Boy, gee, he made things interesting. Um, <laughs> that first, his first section from me leading forward into an Everest now is starting to become a concern. Not so much um, the slow away from the gates. That's you know he's only marginally slow away. He's not someone who bombs the start by four or five, etc. But his overall first section speed is something that's starting to ring alarm bells for me from an Everest perspective. His natural speed's going to put him somewhere in the vicinity of 12 to 14 lengths from the natural lead speed of horses like Eduardo and nature strip, etc. Um, you know, if, if this is a way of protecting him to get into the Everest and make sure that, you know, he gets there on the day and he's ready to rumble um, and he can travel that bit faster, then I think he's clearly the horse to beat. Not clearly, but there's one more that, Starting to really sing to me, I think I've found the hidden gem. Um, but that's my only concern from him, from an Everest perspective. I'm convinced now he's better than them.
1: I've got a couple of questions for you, Hayden, off that race. Now, and, yeah. and you watched that race with um, Mask Crusade and the way he finishes off, and Rupert Lee's colours and everything else, and and on social media, oh, Mask Crusade has an extra taqua. Now yeah. you've got a similar run style, but I'd. Part one, I'd love you to sort of make a comparison between Shetakwa's closing speed and Mask Crusaders because I, I reckon Shetakwa might have been a little bit faster. Number two, there's a horse who ran last in that race called Adalong. And I look at its three runs this prep and just think, oh, my God, you've run into three really strong fields. You're a really neat listed group three class horse. It, on paper, it looks like Adalong hasn't come up. What are her times telling you about where she's at this time around? Am I dreaming to think I'm going to be able to get a little bit of good odds about her in a listed race somewhere and she'll just go and win?
2: The interesting part with Adelon is, um, you know, I would have liked to have seen Adelon run against um, Kemantari and Kemal Passer and those style of runners. I'd like her to avoid these at all costs. Uh, there's no point in being a lead-out bunny for these style of horses because that's realistically all she is. You know the mid-race exertion that these horses are capable the pressure that they put down in the mid-race she can't handle that so she's being exposed late and she's only getting exposed over the last 200 so mm. in comparison to where she was going back um two years ago i thought she was a genuine everest horse um wow. i thought she was the up-and-comer You know, she was sitting in that plus two, almost three lengths above IVR benchmark. So she was two lengths shy of um, getting the initial tick to say you could be there. But the pressure these guys are putting up in the mid-race, like, to give you an indication from a sectional perspective, Mars Crusade has travelled five and a half lengths below benchmark through the first section. His mid-race power, he's travelling 9.1 lengths above benchmark in the second section. So 14 and a half length squeeze in the 1,200 metre race. Um, you know, this is world-class sprinting. It's just busting her up. Her little six and a half length squeeze isn't going to be good enough. Um, and her last two hundreds telling because she's still there with 200 to go. Uh, and she just peters it out. It's just too much for her.
1: She's, she's going to land in a winnable race somewhere though, isn't she? If they, if they just lower their sights a little bit, she's going to go what?
2: Oh, for of sure. She's, um, she's definitely at that level. And the one thing that this level of pressure does for you is when you drop back, yeah, um, yeah she's going to be dangerous. So that, that race on Everest day, there's a 1200 meter race on Everest day where the Everest is a Kosciuszko. I think it's the Sydney stakes or something. That's the sort of race where if she's going to sneak through um, and be difficult to beat. That might be a race for her. Who are you Everest see Chuck? Uh,
1: it's a funny sort of race this year. There's so many, uh, there's so many ways it could play out. i like, I'm, I'm I'm hundred percent looking at Mars Crusader and thinking, wow, what horse is going to finish as strong as that? And then you've got classic legend in the back of your mind. If it comes back to its best, then you've got, you know, Coolmore and Godolphin sitting there on their slots, having announced any of those yet. The Inferno is an interesting horse. I don't know, Hayden, what, what the data is telling you about where he sort of measures up. But to me, he just seems like this brute that just rolls into races and, and powers up late, like there's a, there's another like late closing element. There's a there's a bit to play out on, and then there's Nature Strip. Well, let's not forget about Nature Strip, but just doing what he does. So, it's a fascinating little race at this point of the game. I'm just I'm just keeping my powder dry on the Everest at the moment. I'm I'm waiting to be wooed. I'm waiting for something to sing to me, like Hayden
2: said.
0: <laughs> like well, Hayden, Hayden reckons he's got a little gem. Are you going to keep your powder dry? Are you going to share? With the next gen is what your little gem is at the moment.
2: My issue is my gem's not there
0: yet. I don't oh, have a slot. Right. right. Well, I think um, you're talking about a maybe a three-year-old Group One winner that's trying to take Rockfire's spot.
2: No, I'm not actually. Um, or oh, Layly. I was. I was um, like, I'm convinced Mask Crusader is the new kid on the block. I'm convinced he can go to the Nature Strip level. Um, And to me, there's just some alarm bells with Nature Strip, with Eduardo, et cetera. He's a little bit long in the tooth. He's a really high pressure, like massive velocity first section horses. Um, And your last 100 to 150, even though you're winning, there's that element of concern there that it seems to me like it's just getting a little bit slower and a little bit slower and a little bit slower every six-month period that we go through Um, So to me, they're going to set the lead speed that's required to be beaten this time. Um, The horse, Mars Crusader, I'm concerned with where he's going to get to and what's going to be required mid-race for him to even get close enough to strike them. Um, That's my touch with concern with him. I'm convinced that the Cormore three-year-old's a monster. Home Uh, Affairs?
0: Yeah,
2: I'm convinced. I've gone back, and the more and more I try and pick that apart, the more and more I'm starting to see close similarities to yes, yes, yes. Same time, I think they took a little bit different approach with him. Um, he might have bashed him up in the Golden Rose. You never know. Um, it was a big performance from him. First up, he took the similar run line in as what um, Waller did with yes, yes, yes. He's missed the run in between. I'd be if Cornwall put him in. Um, he's the sort of horse who's going to sit right in the right zone and he's going to have the velocity through the mid and late to give these boys a pretty big fright. Um, You know, he's got a very similar race shape and race pattern and um, analytical aspect to a horse like Classique Legend. So, Hmm. you know, he might just be the one who just whacks them all on Everest day. What's stopping them from putting him in? That's what I'm waiting for. Because I think when he won,
1: we all sort of thought, ooh. And I think Darren Flindell even said, oh, they, that might be Coolmore's Everest horse. And here we are two weeks later and they still haven't announced it. Or,
0: I I was what was waiting for? Well, I was wondering if they were going to run Acrobat um, on the weekend, but uh, they didn't accept.
2: Well, they got to have a look at that's uh, their slot and it's their horse. So to them, yeah. he may be in. Um, and he's gone, he's had that first up run, which they used like a trial. Um, boy, gee, he was good. Mm. I've got a feeling that Godolphin want Paul Al to run in their slot. I'd be surprised if they go for the old boy trekking again. Um, they may. He's that sort of horse where you know when you run, you're going to run first five. You're never going to win, but you, you'll run into the money. Um, yeah, but I'm just taking, I'm really taken by this horse home affair, and I think he's the right one. Um, you know, I was taken by yes, 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 but he was two lengths short of what I deemed to be um, a winning Everest horse. But the three-year-olds, they can go there. They're the horses who just thrive on big energy, um, and the more energy that gets served up, the more you get to see the very best of them. The older brigade don't handle that sort of energy time after time after time. So, you know, it's horses like Santa Ana Lane and Shoals, et cetera, who ran the big monster numbers in the lead up. They were flattened going into the Everest. So, you know, I think it seems pretty smart. They know grand final days, grand final. You leave it all for there.
1: I'm hoping you're right with, uh, with Pillaylee being the one for the Everest with a Godolphin slot, because that means the old boy, as you said, might get his birthday in the Manicato because that race is shaping up like it's tailor-made for him. And a week after the Everest, will anything back up? Probably, if they do, are they going to be beaten up? What's going to be there in the Manicato? He's uh, here's trekking, presenting in, in good form, as you say, as he always does. And suddenly he doesn't have those three or four against him, that he strikes in those group ones that, that often have the better of him. He, he could be the big dog on
2: the night. In back, going back to what you said before about the inferno, I've been pretty boisterous. Uh, I'm not scared to really put the hooks into one. If I think that there's a hole, um, I'll have a go. And most people sit on the fence and say no or yes, I'll have a go. I've been real critical on him. Um, he hasn't wowed me. Um, But I've gone back and I've had a real good look at him and I'm giving him a little bit more of a chance than what I initially did in the Everest. Um, I don't think 1,000 metres is his go at all. I don't think he copes with it and I don't think he's very good over the 1,000 even though he is a winner. I think there's a new dynamic to the horse at 1,200 and that um, the switch in speed, A 1,000 metre race is a single switch in speed style race so we either go fast and we slow down or we go slow and we accelerate where the 1200 can bring the second dynamic in, where we can go fast, slow down, accelerate. Um, he copes much better with races of that nature, and he's got more tricks up his sleeve. So he's become a live player for me, um, and I'm really unsure what I would do with him. So Roth, Rothfire last week was a horse that I was coming for, um, and, you know, the mid-race squeeze, he just completely found him out here. Yeah. He didn't have that power.
1: It's a shame, isn't it? And, you know, I, I don't know what your data says about it, but anecdotally, how many times do you see a horse that comes off a long break and the first up run's often great? Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like the old analogy of uh, of playing footy. You know, if you're a park footballer and you come back the first game back for a while, you might have missed a few at the end of the season, you feel a million bucks, but then you just pull up. Ordinary afterwards, and your second game is usually awful. Before you get your body gets back and moving again, and it looks like he's come out of that race with a little issue, off fire. But yeah, they they often, well, all too often, dip on that second run back from a long break. Yeah,
2: he had he had multiple problems for me. A eh? horses, you know, you've been involved with horses for a long time, shark, and from a hands on approach, horses don't improve off tendons, whether anyone likes it or not. Um, you know. Talking to Vince Accardi about it and getting his thought process, you know, someone who's put more analytics through more horses than most people on the planet. Um, Better Loosen Up's the only horse that he's ever put the eye over that's improved off a tendon. Mm. That shows you how rare something like that is. Um, and when you get the tendon in with the 360-odd day break, um, they're normally very wound up to go early. You know there's a bit of nervousness in the camp. We need to just make sure they're really forward to go yeah. first up. They run the big bottler first up, and the body says, oh, I'm just not prepared to go anywhere near yeah. that again. Um, you know, in the power in the mid race here look, he's gone 1.8 lengths above that's cruise control for a horse with his early yeah. speed. Um, the four, the four length squeeze through the mid, he's gone, no, nah, not for me. This is just, um you know, this is just a lactic explosion. And he's probably hurt himself over the last 200 metres when he just got staggers. staggers. Um, you know, he he looked like he wanted to fall over.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, Private Eye won the Epsom. Big number, but Private Eye was the one out the back. They were running serious time up front. And Private Eye was in the comfort zone and able to get out into the lanes was one of the only horses to break benchmark through the third section. Did you give Private Eye a big chance, Shark, or did any sort of surprise come from left field a bit?
1: Well, he's one of those horses, you know, I love betting in big race handicaps, but there's always yeah. a group of, you know, five or six of them just outside the obvious that you think, yep, if the races run to suit, yeah. I could see Private Eye winning. No weight. Got to turn a foot. Got a good winning strike rate. One of those horses we used to talk about when we were doing – tvn and dot com days you know you do him on the run through private eye you can't really knock him if you yeah. like him have your each way bet on him and, and good luck to you because one of them will run well and well, the first four over the line are all probably in that category yeah uh, yeah a good good win unfortunately pip arameo who i was on on the post but there we are we live to fight again another day it was one of those days for me on saturday just second after second but that uh, was a big win from the back of the field
0: yeah, it turned out like that. I think Icebrook Cascadian at, at, at one at as one at odds that could run a place and <laughs> he's run fourth. Uh Mwanga, not a bad run, um running fifth, Hayden, um Hungry Heart. What did you make of those two? Cuz they were two of the you know, they were two of the obvious ones that we thought could go to the next level on Saturday.
2: Yes, um real good race. Cuz um now, sitting back thinking about it, okay, and I'm thinking because every race that I do when it comes to reviewing, and there's I've got to put the data aspect to it as well as thought process, the visual, you know, we've come from in the run, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. How mm. have you won? Because I haven't found you, that's for sure. That wasn't in my um, numbers. And like Shark said, it's a horse that's there, but no one's going to tip it, um, you know, no one. So, where'd you come from, and how did you do it? Well. When it comes to these handicap races, et cetera, those horses, they get touted at the bottom of the weights and people get all flabbergasted because, you know, we've got a lightweight, we're going to see the best of it, et cetera. A lot of these horses have never had the opportunity to race in a race with a big field, with serious lead speed. Like, you know, we've got horses like Ashman, um, Arameo, Riadini, et cetera. They're going 12 and a half lengths above benchmark through the first section and they're sustaining in the mid threes through the mid. So these horses get their first look at the reverse race shape to what they used to because the second-rate horses typically go a bit slower and, you know, you see horses like Private Eye, they flash home, they run faster sectionals of the day. They never get their opportunity in the high-pressure genuine race. Um, and it's horses like Private Eye who come out and they haven't improved. They've just got their right race shape. They put up a number, you know, it's gone best of the day, 5.2 lengths above IVR benchmark. That's real. That's it. That's that horse. That's what that horse is capable of doing in big races like this. And when you bring that number to the table, it's horses like Private Eye. You look back on in 18 months' time and go, gee, that started 10 to 1 in an Epsom. Um, You know, it's got the capabilities to race its way out of handicap racing. Yeah. So for me, excellent performance. I thought the ride was super um, you know, he got the eye in Bayless on the day, and you know he he hasn't even come down the lanes. He just missed that fast section of the track, so the run's real and the run's genuine. His last two hundred was super. Um, Cascadian had the ideal race shape; not an excuse in the whole world for him. Um, Arameo Dallasan—that's typical. They've gone right to the top of their numbers. Great performances, excellent rides. Um, just numerically sound the pair of them. Mwanga, four wide, no cover, that's game over for him. Um, And then you go back down the field. Horses, you want to keep an eye on. The two big runs in the race, Hungry Heart and Rock, they just do not go these two when there's a drip of water on the ground. Um, They just simply don't go. Both have gone excellent. They're two horses you'll find at big, big odds wherever they go. Um, You get big overs, not big odds, um, because there'll be a lot of people disappointed with the two runs there. Um, you go back to the field, Lion's Roy doesn't go with the drip of water on the ground. Those who finished out the back have just simply gone too hard first section, like backs yeah. too fast, Briardini, Hummy Rose, Ashman, et cetera. Star of the Seas, good friend of the show, 31.1 lengths, beaten out of sight. Um, <laughs> where does he go to now? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, that's him, done, I think. Shark, any of these horses um, deserve a
0: spot in the Cox Plate?
1: Oh, in a Cox Plate? No, I wouldn't have thought so. No, you know with the exception of Moanga and, and Private Life, the reasons that Hayden mentioned, they've got scope to to leave the grade, but it, you're, you're probably looking at handicappers here. Ice Bath's an interesting horse. If she got a track with genuine give on it, uh, she might be something that can bob up in you know a Group Two somewhere. I don't know what they're doing if they're going to bring her to Melbourne for anything, but she's going well to win something. Probably not at Group One level, but she's she's getting closer
0: yeah i think we also saw yulong prince run a place in this race last year and came out and won the cantala so we might see some of these horses remain at the distance come to melbourne for that mile um, handicap um come with a couple of the other performances um out of Randwick. never been kissed was a uh, the group one winner in the um i've gone one blank now the um it's mile race there. The flight stakes, that's right. Um, nice little performance. Obviously, um, career peak as well for this horse, Hayden. But, Shark, what did you make of Never Been Kissed? Um, could they run, what is it, 13, tw- uh, 12 days in a thousand guineas? Uh,
1: not sure. She's kind of doing it all off a of first prep. So, yeah. Gay might keep her going. She She does sort of do that. She's won a group one now so she's done the job for Wakato, her owners so yeah, they may roll the dice again just depends how she comes through Hayden, I thought she was a good chance in that T Rose and I just didn't I was trying to make excuses for her, nothing obvious jumped off the page at me, I don't know if the numbers uh, told you otherwise but she goes and wins the flight and, of course, you, you look at the price and think, bloody hell, I chucked you in last time. I gave you a really good hope at 20s. Why didn't I just give you another chance? You try and see something that perhaps wasn't immediately obvious in that failure. Did, did anything point to a turnaround in form with you?
2: I had the race marked very – I thought this was a very simple race. If Star Tom's had um, backed up, and wasn't flattened off the big performance in the Rose. I thought it was game over. Nothing beats it. Um, and marked it clear, clear on top. But there was a huge concern with me that a that run uh, that Golden Rose performance would have flattened it. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, even after watching it, that it did. Um, no, I think the rider fell asleep between the four and the two. Yeah, uh, I think the the riders felt a surge of energy underneath him and thought, okay, I've got this. This is game over. Um, And the leaders have got away. Gay Waterhouse, in typical Gay Waterhouse style, has um, bought a horse to play on game day and has jumped out of the ground, to be honest with you. These horses didn't really show much into the leader. You could find holes. And, you know, as we've been saying um, all the way through, these fillies look extremely disappointing. Um, and we're just waiting for them. We're waiting for a big number, basically. Like, never been kissed. I've got to go back to a 1,000-metre performance first up at Hawkesbury, where she was the fourth best of the day, point four below. Um, her Newcastle run was off no speed. The Newcastle run gives you the hint that she's got some talent. Um, you know, but ultimately, just a 400-metre surge, and then slow tempo, Randwick, and... Um, she looked like she was going to surge between the six and the four. She had a flat spot between the four and the two, um, lost all momentum, maintained at home. So she had these little glimpses that she was a horse with some ability, um, but there was nothing there statistically to say, okay, you're going to go to this level. Like she's gone three lengths better than she's ever gone before. And she's found basically eight off her last start. So in terms of that, Shark I couldn't possibly put her in, um, apart from the Waterhouse bot factor
1: makes it very hard then to, to look at these this group of fillies because, as you say, I think we're all waiting for a standout dominant filly and we're not seeing it. And you can sort of trick yourself a little bit thinking, well, it's a group one. How is this thing going to turn it around to win a group one? But in actuality, it doesn't have to be a group one horse because none of them are. You know, they're just—they're kind of all just floated around, and you know, at its right distance, something might win on any given day, and that makes the thousand guineas the next puzzle that we have to all sort out because it's essentially the same group of horses. Mm-hmm. They're just in Melbourne. You know? yeah. <laughs> there it might be a couple that come down. Uh, I don't think we can assume, like in years gone by, that horses out of the flight are oh, it's better form. I think it's all just pretty average sort of form. So. We may get another upset in a in a thousand guineas in a couple of weeks'
2: time. The, we the thousand guineas is going to be a fascinating race because this, this performance in the fly and this start ton's coming through the Golden Rose, he's got a lot on the Melbourne ones. Um, the the Sydney ones up until this point have been ordinary. Um, Swift Witness and She's All Class have been the two that I've been promoting since day dot to say, okay, these are the two big ones. Um Swift witness is just as honest as the days long and she, we pretty much know exactly what we're going to get every time she steps out and mm. she's all class just hasn't come to play. I'd love to know yeah. what's wrong with um, I'd love to know what's going on there because that all starts, you know, either favorite or within the $8 range and everything. And it's done nothing. Um, they're confusing for me. I would trust the first four out of this race um and i'd be prepared to back them where they go um but in terms of comparing them to the melbourne phillies i've got zero um zero faith in any of the fillies in melbourne right now
1: it's just a puzzle isn't it you know you we're pinning our hopes on zuzarella at the top of the thousand yeah. years market and then she is far from invincible she's a nice enough philly but she's not you know, a superstar by any stretch yeah. I was sort of plumping for uh, mac and cheese as she was progressing through, but then she runs leagues below, you know, her right form, let, let alone what she needs to run to, to sort of be competitive with with group class horses in the springtime. And you've got horses like elusive express bobbing up at the last minute, mm. winning a manifold, and and their second favorite for a thousand. Years. It may not even go there.
0: Well, the other one that's it's gone, to, the other one that's gone um, to the paddock is Jamea, who probably does have that. Yeah level of talent and ran well in a golden rose it would be nice if they went two and a half weeks to a thousand guineas i think you know if she just recovered well out of the golden rose maybe she's the one that can go to that next level but yeah there's no no real standouts Shark, do you get out a black book and and literally write down the horses you want to follow next start put a highlighter through them
1: uh probably not so much write them down but just the ones i I used to but the book you know you, you you just look for runs that you'd probably just get a bit excited about. And when I was doing the bulk of my um, form work and TV work and everything else in that space, it was just a bit pre the IVR times. Like Vince hadn't really gone public with any of that information. You were working off sectional times and a lot of your own work on what you thought was good, good timing around first parts of races and everything else. So you'd kind of work to that off numbers and everything else to get your Black book or your horses to follow. I find I just, I'd trust my eye and then revert back to statistics second. And if they back up what I've really liked, and I'm, I've gotten a bit, I don't know, grumpy is probably the right word, but some, I need to see a really good run to get excited about a horse. So I need to see running, go, oh, hang on a second, like this is something I want to be on this horse here. This is, this is going somewhere. There's a race for it, and this is what I think that race is going to be. If that lines up with with good numbers, you know, from and and the opinions of people like Hayden who really know their their data, then I get a little bit excited, Damo. Then the black book, yep. you know, then I might jot something down in the back of the diary, along with the forty eight thousand passwords that I keep forgetting.
0: <laughs> and those who are listening to you on RSN today, you um, you're cautious of a run home like um, Mystic Journey who did you know flash home late and record um the best sectionals late of the day but in the end she's been beaten by pride of jenny and still a star
1: true yeah she has been and look again i like to be somewhat mischievous in the the small amounts of media that i that i do these days and on friday with felgate sort of taking my slightly offbeat approach to uh, the weekend form, I just said, no, this is her chance. Everything's right for her. The barrier, the race, the speed, absolutely everything is right. If she gets beaten, I'm going to back her. If she gets beaten, no excuse, I won't back her again. And she was beaten, so I'm going to stick by that. I'm not going to back her again. Now, she yeah. may win because it was a nice run. But how many times do we keep stumping up for a for a horse that maybe wins once every two preps but keeps running well? Love watching them. Great horses and, and good horses to own. But good horses to punt? Mm. Don't know.
0: Yeah. No, I think Hayden's uh, Hayden's agreeing with you there. Hayden, were there any um, any that had the red flashing light for you?
2: There was plenty. Plenty that had the red flashing light. Just on, um, on Shark's point, you know, things like this get me up and about. Um, <laughs> the hair that's just the most dangerous way you can play shark isn't it how many times do people need to get their fingers burnt by horses who get beat two lengths who run the fastest splits of the day um waiting for the day you know the the, the, the day they are the bookmakers dream they are um you know the amount of horses who win next start who just get run down compared to the horse who runs on and gets beat two and a half lengths but never in the race but boy gee it looked good um yeah, if you're not in the fight, you're not in the fight. That's my rules. Um, and I got no interest in horses like that. Um, nothing against Mystic Journey herself, but you got to get up there. You got to get punchy, and you got in the you got to get in the fight like Stella Star was. There's no point pretending off the back of them. Um, you know, I would like to have seen what Mystic Journey had if she wanted to jump, go up, put herself in there, and risk blowing her up. Because if you're going to blow her up and she can't beat them, don't bring her back. Um, if she's capable, she beats them. I'm with you, Shark. She had her opportunity, um, and she's not a horse that I'm going to go looking for next time.
1: The horse out of that race that interests me, and I—I I don't know why. I think I was on radio with Matt Stewart, and some of the craziness just rubbed off. And I thought I'm going to have a big <laughs> six today, and I only had four in the first in, in that leg. And Pride of Jenny was one of them. Yeah. So she's run first up in a benchmark seventy-eight. Over 1,200 at Caulfield. I couldn't find a trial or a jump out for her. If Maybe she had one, but I I couldn't find one for her. She's only had nine starts after Saturday. She's led in a group two. She's gone out at 80 to one. There was some specking for her late. She's been stakes placed last spring. Simon Wild's a pretty canny trainer and he gives them time and he nurses them through. Just wondering if uh, we'll get another good price about a horse like Pride of Jenny next start. Who we know can sit forward 14, 1,600 meters. They'll all be behind her. You yeah, know, maybe a race like the stocks around the valley at a mile might be a race where she'll bob up at eight, nine, ten to one and just have a yep. picnic. What do you think about a horse like her, Hayden?
2: Um, my offsider Vincent Caddy, did his podcast on Friday, um, and he was pretty bullish about her um, chances. And I think the analytical side has followed through your thought process where you've been on point with a horse like her. Um, On with you. I think she's a genuine racehorse. I think she's severely underrated by both punter and market. Um, And there was a little opportunity for those who found her. So completely agree. Well, put it this way. Anna Visto was well in the market, sitting on her tail and and
0: couldn't finish alongside her, right? Anna Visto had had a a couple of runs his prep as well and been running well. But when push came to shove, pride of Jenny was able to stick on there and get beaten half a length. And Anabisto finished uh, a further two lengths behind him. And I uh, was standing next to Mick Kent Jr. thinking, geez, it looks like they're going quick. Come on, Johnny, pull Anabisto back and give her a breather. Well, pride of Jenny didn't have that breather and she was still there at the end. So um, I think that you you certainly... um, certainly found one then this weekend shark the two rack a, a race at your boy fierce impact who's uh, the poster boy at leneva park he won it a couple of years ago um, you know, Do you guys get excited about that obviously um, you know stallion uh, breeding season started with him and there's a little bit of uh, hype around him talk us through uh, through this weekend
1: yeah well you know we weren't involved with the horse when he won the race but I remember him winning Vividly, mm. and it was probably his, his best performance that day. Uh, it's it's a nice little, I guess, coincidence that we've got a, a horse called Asar who we bought with a hope to turn him into a stallion prospect. Talk about home affairs earlier on. Well, Asar's his older half-brother by deep field. So he, he has been shown to be probably a, a, a group-class handicapper Asar at this point of the game. We need him to go and, and win on Saturday in the Turak. It's a race that has been the grand final day right the way along and he was given a clean out uh, on Saturday at Flemington to, to tidy him up for, for this race this weekend dropping in weight, going back to Caulfield where he's run his best race, running you know Ole Kirk to a, a quarter of a length in a Group 1 Caulfield Guineas. So we're hoping a little bit of the Fierce Impact magic is still in the air demo because I think our bloke's gonna go off at about 40 to one, or if not longer. Uh, he hasn't got the obvious form lines, but he'll be up on speed. We know his peaks at the track and trip. You never know. Racing works in mysterious ways sometimes. There uh, might be a little bit of a little bit of magic left for us on Saturday.
0: Were you a little bit disappointed with his run in the last on Saturday?
1: Not really. We, we kind of knew that's what would happen. Uh, he was going forward. Uh, this horse, when he has his run spaced, gets very fresh, and he was fresh in the first, 1200, uh, first 200 metres of that race on Saturday. He had 59 and a half on his back, and we knew he wasn't handicapped to win that race. I think a lot of people looked at it and said, oh, well, he's run fourth in a Rupert Clark. He'll just go and win this. But when you've got that other side of the story and you know the horse and, and its background and, and what's, what's happening and what, what you're prepping it for, uh, we weren't exactly confident. That was, that was probably the most nervous I'd been with this horse going into a race because I needed him, in my mind, to run within about two lengths of the winner, assuming a genuine tempo and assuming that he'd pop out and be exposed and probably be there to be beaten at the 200, which he was. Uh, all of that happens as you think it will, but he runs six and you still think, God, are we kidding ourselves going to a group one next week, but it's what we expected would happen and happened. We also expected him to really bounce forward out of this race and be a big chance this Saturday. So if that happens as well, well, all that, uh, uncomfortable post race on Saturday will be forgotten.
0: I'll get Aiden's thoughts later in the week on who he's tipping for the race, but Tafane Elephant, I'm thunderstruck. Who's the um, uh, Superstorm? Who's the Who's the one to beat at this stage?
1: I think probably I'm thunderstruck coming out of that Rupert Clark, but there's no uh, obvious top weight. Tafane is probably going to be the top weight, I'd say with 57. Yeah, so That means you'll have a you won't have a true handicap like we had in the Rupert Clark when you had a spread from what 59 to 52 kilos and even not a true handicap these days. But as far as what we're talking about in, in today's racing, so you're going to have a slightly compressed weight spread there. I, I would think I'm Thunderstruck would be the horse to beat. He looks all over a miler and he's improving all the time. You know, Mick Price and Michael Kent jr. Have just, taking their time, just polishing this horse, knocking the rough edges off him. He used to want to lay in when he was accelerating. They're sort of fixing that up. He's getting better every run. He's a very dangerous horse on Saturday.
0: Now, you've imported a lot of horses to Australia. Another one we see on the weekend is Zaki. What, do you, what have you make of, made of his rapid rise? Um,
1: surprising to a point. Because I know you can take horses out of that European environment and they look all over a group three class horse and they come here and suddenly they're a a grade or two better. That can happen. I think that's what's happened with Zaki. There is nothing in his form card in Europe to suggest that he could be the level that he is here. I think it's a combination of him playing in our absolute weakest demographic of racing in Australia. Like Literally, middle distance racing is our Achilles heel. And he's, for whatever reason, Australia agrees with him. And he's getting absolutely the best out of himself through Annabelle Nesham's training. I don't think you could repeat it. You could do it 10 times with 10 similar horses to Zaki, and none of them would would work out like he does. He's he's just a, a glorious little mistake that's worked out so well for all his connections. And we're the beneficiaries as racing fans. We can watch it and enjoy it and See him go around and probably win again on Saturday. A
0: couple of questions from the next geners, mate George Medved wants to know what level do you expect Arabica to reach? Um, I think Arabica is an import, um, that you might have helped Michelle Payne get her hands on.
1: Yeah, she, he's, well, she's in the country now, Arabica, uh, three year old Philly, four hour time, two starts, one of them a really nice win over a staying trip. Um not sure on the level she can get to. I'd like, to think she'd get through to black type racing over a trip at some point, but she'll just be given the luxury to go through her grades here. And that means lots of wins in store for her connections.
0: All right. And someone running the Laneva Park Twitter handle uh, wants to know if you can muck out some boxes tomorrow. Apparently you've got 80 in work and it's all hands on deck.
1: It is all hands on deck. Don't usually see the general manager uh, getting around on cash registers and whatnot in day-to-day life. So the chances of me getting on the end of a shovel are slim to none.
0: <laughs> Mate, thanks for your time today. Uh, good luck with Asa on the weekend in the, the Turak. Hopefully he can do what um, your prize stallion Fierce Impact did a couple of years ago. And um, RSN listeners, will catch you there um, Couple of times a week.
1: He's hoping if he if he does happen to win, you'll certainly hear me from wherever you are in Victoria. I'll uh, I'll give it a big shout. Thanks, Damo. Thanks, Hayden. It's been a
2: great chat. On
0: your shark, uh, Hayden. Was there one black booker you want to leave the punters with?
2: Cooling gutter is a better than Enthar.
0: Yes, cooling gutter very strong win. Sounds like they're going to spell and go to the Magic Millions. And, um, yeah, certainly a real level of talent there. So one to follow for the punters. All right. Thanks, guys. Chat to you soon. Thanks, Matt. And your boys.